Welcome. This is Daniel Davis with the Gospel Project for Adults Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This week we are on Unit 19, Session 4, titled, The Savior is Faithful. Last week we were in the Gospel of Mark, looking at the ministry of John the Baptist and the high point of John's calling to baptize Jesus. If you will recall, when Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were torn open, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. In this session, we switch to Matthew's Gospel for the events that immediately followed Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit, who descended upon Jesus after his baptism, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The wilderness provides the backdrop for this well-known interaction between Jesus and Satan. In essence, the wilderness is a backdrop to the entire story of the Old Testament. The Israelites spent four decades wandering in the wilderness as a result of their sin. After the miraculous exodus from Egypt, the Lord, in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, led his rescued people from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, where they would receive the law. Along the way, they grumbled a lot. Their healthy concerns for water and food, unfortunately, led them to grumble against Moses and the Lord himself. And yet, the Lord was patient. Sometimes stern, but patient. Then he led them from Sinai to the edge of the Promised Land. For more than a year, the people had seen God's power, faithfulness, and provision. And now they were to trust him to lead them into the Promised Land and to conquer it. But ten of twelve spies gave a report of the land rooted in fear and doubt. And they persuaded the people who had seen so much to reject the Lord's command. And this was the last straw. God condemned that generation of adults, with the handful of exceptions, to wander and die in the wilderness, never to enter the promised land that God would have given them. Though in His grace, the Lord remained with His wayward people, faithful to lead them and provide for them still. So the wilderness was a place of failure, a place of judgment, a place of hopelessness and death. The wilderness was anchored in the Israelite mind as the foremost location where they experienced the implications of sin. And now the Messiah entered into his ministry through the wilderness as the one who succeeded where Israel failed. And perhaps even more significant in overcoming Satan's temptations in the wilderness, Jesus affirmed that he is the greater Adam who succeeded where the first Adam failed, even though that Adam lived in a garden with his every need fulfilled. The three points in this session are framed by the three temptations Matthew records Jesus experienced and endured in the wilderness. In point one, we see that the Son of God trusts in His Father's provision. At the outset of this point, emphasize the key doctrine, the sinlessness of Jesus. We've seen in this unit that Jesus is the Son of God, the incarnate Word of God, who was conceived and born of the Virgin Mary by the miraculous power of God. So we can find it easy to nail down Jesus' divinity, but we cannot dismiss or overlook Jesus' true humanity either. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh. He took on a fully human body and nature so He could be like us in every way except for sin. 
So this is to emphasize that Jesus' temptations in the wilderness and throughout his life were real temptations, just as our temptations are real. Yet unlike us, and blessedly so, Jesus resisted his temptations completely and remained sinless. Otherwise, he could not have died in our place as our perfect, holy, righteous substitute to atone for our sins and then grant us his perfect righteousness for the completion of our salvation. The setup for this first temptation is that Jesus has fasted for 40 days and nights in the wilderness, and he's hungry. Again, Jesus is fully human. It is at this point that Satan, the tempter, enters the scene. If you are the Son of God, he says, tell these stones to become bread. After 40 days of fasting, on some level, this just sounds like common sense. Time's up. Time to eat. Jesus is human, being tempted, but he is also the divine Son of God, the creator and sustainer of all there is, even Satan, the one who's tempting him. Jesus had the power to turn stones into bread. He created the stones in the first place. So what's the essence of this temptation? Eating is a vital function of our bodies a good desire the Lord created in us. So it isn't the eating, per se. Is the issue that Satan suggested it? That's certainly up there. Satan has made it his business to steal, kill, and destroy. And even though he is suggesting a way of fulfilling a rightful desire in Jesus, he's not doing so to bring abundant life to Jesus. Rather, he is seeking to wreck the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, and by extension, the plan of salvation God purposed before the creation was even made. So what's at the heart of this temptation? It's faith and trust. Yes, at the urging of Satan, Jesus could have made these stones into bread. After all, Jesus turned water into wine in John 2. But then Jesus would have been following the words of Satan and the desires of his flesh instead of his heavenly Father. Would Jesus fulfill his own needs? or trust his Father to provide for him when the time was right. In response, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 8.3, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus would not turn stones into bread for himself, but would trust his Father. Bread is important for the physical body, but the Word of God nourishes the soul and makes one wise for eternal life. Incidentally, Note that Deuteronomy 8.3, which Jesus quoted, comes from a book of the Bible written by Moses in the wilderness. All three of Jesus' responses to his temptations share this fact, again pointing to Jesus as being the better Israel who trusts and obeys God's word always. In point two, we see that the Son of God trusts in the Father's providence. In point one, we looked at the idea of provision. Here, it is God's providence, or care. These words and meanings are similar, but distinct. I think the idea of care will be helpful for distinguishing between these points. In the first temptation, Jesus would wait patiently for the Lord to provide what he needed to eat. In this point, the challenge for Jesus would be to believe and know that his Father cares. Somehow, Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, presumably at a place where there would have been an audience. And he tells Jesus, If you are the Son of God, 
throw yourself down. Again, Satan hits upon Jesus' identity as the Son of God, accusing, calling it into question. If you are the Son of God, I hear this in my head the same way I imagine Satan uttered his temptation in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? But the kicker in this temptation is Satan tries to use God's word to tempt Jesus, quoting from Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 as a proof text that Jesus could throw himself off the temple and be caught by angels so that he wouldn't strike his foot against one of the stones below. Perhaps there is an element of this temptation that features the potential for a crowd to witness this action and then fawn over Jesus as a special and blessed person. But even deeper than that, this one is playing off Jesus' title as the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, prove it. Throw yourself overboard and let everyone see it. But from Jesus' response, this has less to do with a potential crowd and more to do with his trust of his Father. Quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16, Don't test the Lord your God. We see that Jesus' temptation was to question the providence and care of his Father. If you are the Son of God, then your Father will catch you, right? So make the Father prove it. Throw yourself off and make him catch you with angels. But Jesus didn't need to prove it. He believed. He knew. He had seen his Father's care, and he had no reason to doubt it. And he would not put his Father to the test. So Jesus passed the test. As part of this point, it is worth emphasizing that Satan quoted Scripture to tempt Jesus. Satan knows the Bible, and he and we can pull verses out of context to justify our whims. This is part of why we need the community of the church so that we can learn to understand and use God's Word faithfully and be able to seek out the wisdom of brothers and sisters in Christ so we don't misuse God's Word to sanction our own sin. In point three, we see in the final temptation that the Son of God trusts in the Father's plan. Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. The essence of this temptation is twofold. Jesus' response from Deuteronomy 6.13 communicates the truth that human beings are to worship the Lord our God and serve only Him. So, we have the issue of worship. But Satan holds out the bait of all the kingdoms of the world, which was a real temptation. The Son of God created everything, so all the kingdoms are rightfully His anyway. And one day, the Father will place every kingdom under Jesus' feet. But for the time being, in our sin-cursed world, Satan, by the allowance of God, exercises a dominion over the world and her kingdoms. He held out the offer to Jesus of skirting the mission, bypassing the struggle, skipping dinner and going straight for the dessert to have it all. But when your conscience is guided by the Word of God, as Jesus' was, then you see that no matter the potential reward, the cost of misplaced, misguided worship of a creature, rather than the Creator, the Father of all, is too steep to be considered. Jesus stepped into our world and overcame the temptation to which Adam and Israel succumbed. In this way, 
Jesus showed he is obedient to the Father and that he is the one who is worthy to undo the consequences of Adam's sin and bring blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Jesus' life of obedience led him into the wilderness to be tempted, out of the wilderness sinless and ultimately to the cross, the place where he laid down his life and conquered sin and death as our Savior. If we are believers in the sinless Christ, crucified and raised from the dead for us to atone for our sin, then we have been credited with Christ's righteousness. And so, we should resist our very real temptations by relying on the Word of God and on the power of the One who overcame temptation in our place so He could save us from sin. Thanks for listening to this week's leader training for the Gospel Project for Adults. For more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.